I am Emily Lyons. In 2011, without a high school degree and with no money to my name, I decided to start my own business. Since then, I've built several multi-million dollar companies and I don't plan on stopping. Being a businesswoman, CEO, serial entrepreneur, survivor, and general life enthusiast, I'm endlessly jazzed by the business of life, especially the stories of extraordinary people I've had the privilege to meet along my own improbable journey to success. I don't think it's fair to keep that privilege to myself, and I think you deserve to be utterly lifted and shifted by these people too. All inspiring people are inspired people, so get ready to be inspired. All right, today I'm joined by my friend and Lion's Den member, actually, incredible human, David Thorne. David, welcome. Hey, Emily. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So before we start to chat, I'd love for you to just say who you are in your own words. Sure. So I'm David. I'm an entrepreneur based in the UK and I've got cystic fibrosis. So that basically means I've got a long-term genetic health condition that the lining of my lungs is too thick along with just about everything else in my body. And, you know, I'm very prone to chest infections. I've been as low as needing potentially to be listed for transplants and as high as sort of a normal lung function for someone of my age. So, you know, it's a bit of a roller coaster. Yes, that's for sure. And you were born in 1983, which I was here. My sister was born. And if you've listened to the podcast before, for those listening, you probably heard that my sister passed away from the disease that David has. And, you know, it's changed so much since 83. What was the life expectancy they told you back then? So it varied between sort of two and nine, just sort of depended on how well you did for the first sort of 18 months or so. But timing, certainly from a UK perspective of when I was born, was fortunate in that they were in the process of getting the license for Creon, which was, and I believe still is, the main digestive enzyme that we take for our food. And I got that on what at the time was known as name patient only. Nowadays, it would be called sort of compassionate grounds, which is where the, yeah, which is where the company who makes it basically pays for me to have the medication before our NHS agrees to fund it. Not too dissimilar to what happened with Trikafta or Caftrio, as it's known in Europe, later on for a lot of people. I know you know a couple of Canadians who were in that position prior to its eventual licensing. Yeah, so I got the Creon very early on. I think my parents told me I was about sort of 12, 18 months old when I got Creon. So I ended up in a position where I was able to thrive. I didn't hit the sort of the poor nutrition, poor growth markers that a lot of people slightly older than me with CF didn't hit. So, you know, I was I was able to, I say grow normally someone with CF. I mean, I'm five foot four, which is roughly 161 centimeters for metric people. But, you know, that's not uncommon for people with CF. We don't grow properly because we don't get all the benefit from the nutrition of our food. Mm-hmm. It's been with Trikafta or Caftrio, it's been so eye-opening how bizarre it works with the pharmaceutical companies and the approval process and all of that. I just, I couldn't believe it. I know in, in Canada, it was such a struggle to get it approved and available to see if patients and meanwhile, they were dying and they didn't have to. And all really, you know, without getting too much into this came down to, to money for the most part. Yep. Yep. I mean, I think here we got a little bit lucky in that 
we spent many, many years trying to get Orkambi, which was one of the forerunners for people with dual Delta F508, which is the, the most common gene type for CF. You, you have two copies, one from your mother, one from your father, and a pair of CF-causing gene types means you've got cystic fibrosis. And in the UK, we were fighting for many, many years to get Orkambi and Simkevi, which is what we call Simdico, authorized here. And sometime late on in 2019, that happened and people started going on to it sort of as early as early 2020, just before everything happened over in March. During that time, obviously, there was an awful lot of concern and unknowns surrounding how people with CF would be impacted by the virus. And thankfully, certainly initially, it didn't look to be quite as bad as it could have been in terms of because here we called it shielding. I've also heard it known as cocooning. But basically, we were told to stay indoors and basically live in a room and not see anybody. And because a lot of us were able to do things like that, we didn't seem to get it. There's also some evidence that, you know, people who did get it didn't get hit as badly as one would expect but for someone with a very severe chest condition. But during the year, basically, they fast-tracked the approval of Caftrio, Tricafter, when it got its license. I think it was April, May time in uh, Europe. The European Medicines Agency granted it a license, and the UK got it granted on the NHS from October-ish. I think it might have been September or October of 2020. And we genuinely believe that was solely because of COVID. You know, if there was one good thing that came out of COVID, yeah. it was that. Yeah, that's incredible. That was one of the points that everybody here was trying to use to push it. The approval process in Canada was that, but didn't work. <laughs> but eventually we did get it, but it was very eye-opening and very challenging. Mm. Now, one of the things that I love about you is, you know, you've got obviously a lot of challenges, but you show up. And I talk about just showing up often and you are always following through with. So, you know, with our group challenges in the den, you're the most consistent one with things and probably have the most excuses why you couldn't. And so I absolutely love that about you. I would love just to talk about how do you manage that consistency? Well, it's very interesting. This, as as you know, is our second attempt to record this. We had to move it. And one of the things that has happened in the meantime is a couple of things sort of fell into place in my head. Previously, I might have said, I'm too stupid not to. I'm too stubborn not to. You know, I'll just keep going. I mean, I am that person that despite the fact that I've got quite clear signs that I'm suffering from a severe flu or pneumonia or whatever, I'll still go into London for the business meeting or I'll still plow on with my 10K walk at full pace, et cetera, because I have a use it or lose it kind of attitude. Mm -hmm. But one of the things I realized over the last sort of extra week or so that's passed was actually it's not so much that I'm too stubborn or I'm too stupid. It's actually there is something driving me to doing this and it has absolutely nothing to do with any sort of negative vibes that I might throw towards myself. Quite what was driving me, I'm still working on. I've got ideas about what it is, but basically I'm very much of a an opinion and a position of, yes, you know, I do these things, I keep going because I know if I keep showing up, eventually something good will happen. And that, you know, that has 
worked its way through with working on the challenges with the den, with people that I've met through going with you on Clubhouse, you know, speaking in rooms. I've met people like Rob Moore and a couple of other people through Rob have helped me realise what it is I'm supposed to be doing, helped me realise my goals and, uh, you know, and set them appropriately. So, uh, no, it's, it's, I know no different as well. I think the big thing about people who have something like CF is because it's genetic, we know no different. It's not like someone who has sight and then loses it uh, later on in life, who's got experience of both worlds and has to learn to adapt. We're born this way. You know, in the, in the same way as some people are born requiring a wheelchair, um, you know, they know no different. They've never known what it's like to walk. I've never known what it's like to breathe normally because um, even with everything that I've had through Trikafta and getting to a near normal lung function for a nearly 40 year old male, you know, I'm still not breathing normally. It's my normal. It's not how you might experience it or how, you know, anyone else may experience it. Um, Currently, it's hovering around sort of 67, 68%. And for based on current measurements, someone who is male and 40, the normal range is considered to be 70 to 100%. So I'm not quite at normal, but I'm near as damn it. It's funny you bring that up because I was actually having this conversation with my brother who if you don't know my story, if you're new here, he also has cystic fibrosis. So both my siblings were born with it, but he is not bothered by anything medical. And it blows my mind. Like I was saying to him the one day he was going in for surgery and he says to me, can we go see a movie after this? I said, you're going in for surgery. You're going to be exhausted. No, I'm going to have to take you home to sleep. <laughs> like, naughty, just like, let's get this over with. I want to go to the next thing. Whereas me, it's like, I'm sweating for blood work and shaky. But for him, it's just, it's a part of life, not, doesn't bother him whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, I'm assuming in terms of how CF developed in Canada from the sort of the mid to late 80s onwards, because obviously you didn't see the early years with your sister. It went similar to here in terms of things went very, very fast, particularly post-1989 when they discovered the actual gene-causing CF and also other things that came into place. But we were always still, whether we were at, you know, a children's hospital or a more general hospital, we were always encouraged to be very open with the doctors. And, you know, to this day, I am not phased by sharing pretty much anything with anyone, whether I know them or not. <laughs> Ask anyone I've been in with in a room where, you know, things have got sort of long and and talkative, whether alcohol is involved or not, you know, things can get said that most people are like, why would you even tell me that? You don't know me. And I'm like, "Mm, I I do this all the time. I know no different. It becomes, you know, like you're, it really changes how you operate too. And I was talking actually about this last night with a friend about my brother and how he is in social interactions because it changes. Yeah how you show up because those things are just bodily functions. You don't have to act like you're this perfect thing that you don't poop or whatever. It's like, yeah, it's very interesting how a terminal disease, which now with Trichapta hopefully will no longer be terminal, but really changes who you are and how you show up in social situations. It does. And I think the the other thing is CF has always been one of those more unusual ones in terms of 
We can be very, very obviously sick, but actually some of us can also be, I'm not sure you're sick. Yeah, mm. like if I looked at you, I wouldn't think that you had CF. I don't even hear it no. in your voice like you normally no. hear. Well, part of that is after. If we were recording this prior to sort of 2020, there would be a lot of cough breaks and I would feel very, very sorry for the editing team. <laughs> yeah, I mean, one of the things an awful lot of us have said post after is actually we're not coughing at all anymore. We don't wake up in the night to cough. And it's, it's so strange. It's almost scary. That's what my brother has said. He's like, it's like for the first time he can laugh in his life without mm. breaking into a coughing fit because every single time he laughed, it ended in a coughing fit. <laughs> yep. Or like he said to me the one day, he's like, he's like, I can take a deep breath and I don't feel things in my lungs. Like, he's like it's, it's so weird. Like there's not that rattling and, but he never knew what it was like. Yeah. Before that science is crazy. <laughs> it is. I mean, I joke, my ultimate goal in life is to be the first person with CF to hundred. I don't actually mind if I don't get there first, you know, that there are some people who are older than me that if they make it first, great. But I'm also very aware that I'm one of the early ones who could make it that had severe cases of CF. I believe the oldest person with it at the moment is from Ireland and is in their 70s. So that, you know, they must be very mildly affected by it. I'm not even sure 70 years ago there was a test for CF. So, you know, they must be very mildly affected. If they get their first grade, I'm not going to complain. But, you know, I'm, I'm, You're I'm stubborn it. enough, whatever, for, uh, to sort of make it to 101 day and then I don't really care what happens. <laughs> you know, the other thing with when you were talking about how you've always done things the way you have because you've always had a terminal illness. And so it causes you, I think, to form a lot of habits. Like every single day you have to do your therapy. You have to take your pills. You have to do this and that and this. And so when you translate that to the business world, it actually serves you incredibly well. And have you ever read the book Atomic Habits? Yes, I have. And I've read others that are very similar in nature. It, it's the power of habit is a common theme in a lot of business books. But yeah, no, I have specifically okay. read that one. And it's interesting how it really translates to the business world because it shows with how you do those things and how you show up. And it's just a matter of fact. And even when you said you'd been sick with that terrible bug a couple months ago and you'd go into the hospital and whatnot, you were still showing up. And I think that one of the things that really draws me to you is that I'm so used to hearing excuses from people, excuses why they can't do things, you know, like I can't, I can't do that walk or I can't start that business or I can't do this or this or this because I don't have the perfect situation. And so oh, it, yeah. it, that you're such a great example because you've never had the perfect situation, but you do it anyways. I quite like um, something that, that that keeps getting reiterated from various people to me. There's reasons and excuses hmm. and any reason can eventually become an excuse. So, for example, you know, if you catch COVID, you can't go to a party. That's a reason. And it's a very good reason. <laughs> However, if you're still blaming COVID 18 months on and you've not ended up with long COVID or, or anything like that, that's an excuse. I just don't want to. That's an excuse. And slightly controversial opinion coming up. But I'm also of the opinion that those who say I've got six hours of treatment to do, I don't physically have the time that's an excuse. And the reason I say that is, yes, I used to have six hours, well, near enough six hours of treatment to do. I had to do between four and a half and five hours every day. And if I was ill, it could be as much as six hours. But 
during that time, I wasn't able to do something all of the time, but I usually had the television on. And it's down to what are you watching? Mm. You know, do you have Love Island or insert other weird and wonderful reality TV show here? You know, Jersey Shore or whatever the Canadian equivalent is. Or are you watching Dragon's Den, Shark Tank? Are you watching something like MasterChef, Top Chef? You know, are you watching something that can teach you something? Something that actually, today I just need to relax, but at least I'm not watching rubbish. Or are you watching a documentary on, say, Warren Buffett or a documentary on crypto or, or whatever you're wanting to sort of specialize your business or, or your skill set in? Yeah. Are you listening to podcasts instead of watching TV? You know, I mean, are you listening to Mind Your Business? You know, great <laughs> podcast I can fully recommend. You know, or are you listening to a podcast on current affairs, if that's what takes your interest? There's lots of things you can do that can help move you towards your business. So actually, when you've got the ability to be able to do something, you know, you can do. So yeah, it's a controversial opinion. But actually, I'm not saying that you can work 12 hours a day if you're doing six hours of treatment. What I am saying is you can put some effort in so when things do get easier, because they will from time to time, you stand a chance of being able to make a success of, of whatever it is you're wanting to do. Mm-hmm. You still put in the work, you still do what you can do. But, you know, I'd heard that from my brother for different things. Oh, I can't do that because I'm too tired. But then I'd see he could do things that were fun for him. Like he could play 10 hours of video games. So I had this conversation. I'm like, not that you can't. It's that you're choosing to use the energy that you have, whatever. And that's what translates to the majority of the population. That's just, it's how we're thinking of things. I mean, if everyone was supposed to run a business, if it was easy, we all would. And think, you know, things like what you and I do would not be what it is. The, the world needs people like us who, who are entrepreneurial. The world needs entrepreneurs, which is an entrepreneurial person but who chooses to work inside someone's business. And people need uh, worker bees, for lack of a better phrase. You know, the people who are prepared to do the work want the salary, you know, want their 28 days off a year or whatever you get in Canada, you know, and are quite happy with their lot and prepared to put in the graph. The difference is these days an awful lot of people see the Instagram perfect life, hashtag whatever life and you know, think that they can get it with shortcutting the effort and you can't, you know, the phrase it takes 10 years to be an overnight success is as true now as it is ever has been. The difference is occasionally you see someone break through and, you know, everyone thinks they can do it. I mean, there's that 10 year old who reviews toys, (laughs) who's been famous for how long? He can't have been here for 10 years to become an overnight success because he's not even 10. Watch him now be about 14. But It's funny because I saw his toys in Walmart the other day. He has a toy line in Walmart. Yeah, he's certainly not a teenager, however old he is. And so, you know, it does happen from time to time. Certain things catapult certain people sky high and they've not necessarily appeared to have worked for it. And in some cases, actually haven't. I mean, let's face it, you know, the kid basically reviewed toys and it happened to hit because the toy makers saw it and realized that this kid was making sense because he was saying what kids wanted from a toy and it worked. So it can happen, but the vast majority of us, it's never going to. We've got to put in 10 years worth of effort. We've got to put in the sweat equity. We've got to put in, uh, you know, the missed family events or the living off ramen noodles, pot noodle, whatever. And, you know, 
nearly going to zero several times and just about making payroll or just about managing to pay the mortgage, rent, whatever. You made a, a pivot recently. So you were in tech. and then uh, Yeah, I'm mid-pivot, yes. You're mid-pivot. Are you able to talk about that? Yeah, I'm happy to talk about it. You know, I mean, the timescales, I don't know exactly. The for a long time, right? Yeah, I mean, I've been in tech all my life. There's a picture of me sat on my dad's lap at about three months old typing. Obviously, my dad is helping me type, but (laughs) but he's always joked in the past, I wrote my first program when I was about three months old. It was actually a program he'd written where if you pressed any key on the cutboard, the colour of the screen changed. And as I grew older, different things started to happen as dad learned how to do various things in programming languages. But yeah, no, I've been in web development since I left uni in uh, 2004. And mid-2009, so coming up on 13 years ago, I went my own way. I went into contracting and have been there ever since, partly because my health was failing me and I didn't know how much longer I'd be able to work full-time. But knew with contracting, I stood a chance of being able to, say, do three, four months in one go and then potentially take a month or so off to recover. Because in the web development world, not many people want a part-time person. Finding a part-time coding role is almost impossible. And it certainly was back in sort of 2009, 2010. So I went into contracting, took a small break from contracting in 2015 when I got fed up and not getting paid by people common problem. Still haven't managed to resolve that one. There's still people who don't want to pay. And uh, yeah, and and eventually went back into contracting about a year later, a year, 18 months later, and have been there ever since. But coding, certainly the type of coding I do, it changes very regularly. And whilst, because I tend to work with large government and enterprise level projects, so, you know, typically projects are six, seven figures in size, The technology that they use doesn't change quite as rapidly. The rapid changing bits end up infiltrating other parts of the system. So I have to keep on my toes and I'm not, I don't want to sit and have to relearn how to do my job every two to three years anymore. And I realized many years ago that what I really wanted to do was teach people. I come from a family of quite a lot of teachers and quite a lot of engineers. I know I don't have the patience to teach children. So, you know, I kind of put it on the back burner or maybe I'll do a video course one day. But the opportunity came up to potentially teach people sort of entry level entrepreneurship, how to start your business, how to found it, what, you know, what could work as an idea. And I ran with it and it's picking up and I've, I've got myself to a point that I want to help people with chronic illnesses start their business or look to see if they can start their business. And I want to do that as a, almost like a charity because people who are, are on state benefits don't have a lot of money. They can't necessarily afford, you know, coaching and, and mentoring. So I'm going to work with people who can afford those services and in effect proceed, you know, some of the proceeds will go towards the charity that I'm looking to set up to, um, to, to help, you know, the people with the chronic health conditions who can't afford it. And, you know, my Gary V by the Jets moment is I'd love to, uh, you know, I'd love to found the European um, Y Combinator equivalent that helps all underrepresented people, whether that's chronic health conditions, whether that's people of colour, uh, LGBTQ+, whatever. You know, if you're underrepresented, if you're not pale and stale, um, you know, I will try to help you. <laughs> I never heard that one. <laughs> I love that. And I think it's so, so brilliant. And it's 
I've never seen something like that. And that's why is because people don't see that group as being a moneymaker, being big ticket. And so they're not. Yeah. I mean, sadly, they're not. The number of people I know who have spoken to one of the PTs that I've worked with in the past and still work with, Ben Mudge, who I believe you've interviewed. Well, not, no, in fact, I know you've interviewed. I listened to it. <laughs> you know, he said the number of people who sort of came to him, go, look, I've got CF. I can't afford anything. What can you, yeah. you know, can you give me anything? it's high and you know it it can get depressing because we want to help people with our condition but I've also learned that actually if you give everything away they don't value it you know if I gave someone a Ferrari would they look after it in the same way as if they paid for it no I'm not saying they wouldn't look after it I'm saying would they look after it the same way as if they paid for it themselves and that, you know, that's why I like the sort of the charity model, which is basically we'll help you fund this, not we're giving it you. You know, if you can put five pounds to it or five bucks, then great. That's all you can put to it. But you've got to put something in. Yeah. You know, if you can put a hundred bucks, even better. The more you can put in, the more invested someone will be. And, you know, there will always be an option for those who really can't afford anything. But equally, if they're that, you know, if they're not able to put anything in, is entrepreneurship right for them? Maybe they need something different. You know, maybe they need a way to make sure they've got the employment rights that they're entitled to, you know, wherever it is they're working or or trying to start work. And that's something else that I'd like to be able to offer through relevant qualified persons. Mm, I like that you have different options for funding it and things where they have to put some skin in the game and do something because yeah, if it's given to them, nobody's going to value it. They're not going to do it. But that's also true. Maybe entrepreneurship isn't for them because you got to be creative with how you make it work. But there's so much you can do with that and really inspiring people that haven't had a lot of hope before or a lot of opportunity. You know, I, I know my brother, though, he is an entrepreneur, but he's on disability. But he is able to make it work. I mean, he's got me to help him. (laughs) Yeah, having a sister with multiple businesses can help there, I suspect. Even (laughs) Even if it's just access to the right people to speak to, to get things produced or the right people to speak to, to clarify certain points. You know, it can help. I'm discovering that all the time in terms of people that I've now got connections with are sort of saying, oh, I must introduce you to X. And sometimes things happen, sometimes they don't. Mm-hmm. It's funny, yeah, how many people you know and what they can do, but it's true. I mean, his designer is mine that I've referred him to. His producer is somebody that I referred him to, all of that, and teaching him how to do it. But I'd lost my train of thought, but <laughs> yeah, it definitely helps having somebody to help guide you. And Exactly. I think that too, when you can show it on from the end, the side of the resilient side, that it would even transfer to People like that have something like they're in a wheelchair or something, or they've never had that belief in themselves to be able to go Mm -hmm. on to achieve things. And so really having somebody to help teach them the basics and then just push them and give them that motivation and that belief in themselves can be such a massive game changer. Exactly. And as you've said, as my research has revealed, you know, it doesn't appear to be anyone concentrating on that specific market. And actually, it's a big market, you know, that the number of people who consider themselves disabled or chronically ill or or however they choose to phrase it is, you know, quite large. Mm -hmm. And it's something that we can easily replicate elsewhere in the world, not just within Europe. I I think in Europe and North America is where it will work best because there are lots of people wanting lots of businesses there, but there is no reason why it couldn't go to sort of South Asia or, or uh, you know, Asia-Pac, et cetera. 
or Africa. It's the kind of thing that could be able to go anywhere. And, you know, I hope to be able to help people on, on every continent, um, even if it's someone who I don't directly influence. You know, I help someone who goes off to wherever, you know, Central Africa and found something there and helps poor uh, people who can't work and have no state security, social security type benefit available to them. Mm -hmm. I guess it would, yeah, it would, it would be so different in the different countries with the support that they get. And I haven't looked into that actually, but somebody would... None. No, neither have I. I just know that, you know, every country has a different system, even within Europe, although it's largely similar in terms of there is some level of state support available to people. It varies widely in the same, in the same way as I'm sure it does province to province within Canada. And so are you nervous making this change? Are you excited? Those, those days I wonder what the heck am I doing? Maybe I should just <laughs> sort of sit down, be quiet and, and go back to coding websites. But most of the time, no, I'm very happy to sort of be working towards this. I mean, I've got plans. You know, I hope to have a better idea of exactly what's happening by my 40th next June, if not having made sort of quite significant moves towards it, you know, have plans. But you never know how these things are going to work in terms of when everything is going to hit. I'm going through a period at the moment where lots of things are beginning to hit and, you know, we could end up with enough runway within my company that actually I could stop working by the end of this calendar year and be able to concentrate full time on everything else. Or it might be it takes till June next year, December next year. At the moment, I'm just taking everything one day at a time and, and sort of, uh, as my mother would say, letting the world turn. <laughs> Were you tempted, I mean, having the tech background to get into Web3? I'm semi-involved in Web3. Yeah, not to the degree of sort of heavy investment or anything like that. I've got some cryptocurrency, but it's mostly for working alongside NFTs. But I'm looking at them from the utility perspective rather than the collectible or, you know, but buying a board ape because it's going to go to the moon or anything like that. I want value out of the NFTs. That I see them more like if I believe they are providing value, then to me, it doesn't actually matter whether it goes to zero. You know, if I spend a couple of grand on something and it goes to zero, but I'm getting more than a couple of grand's value out of it, mm -hmm. then that's great, you know. What are some that you've gotten? So I'm mostly looking at the sort of the creator coin space at the moment. And it's actually something that I'm looking into for my community that I'll be setting up as part of everything. Yeah. You know, it's a way of putting some skin in the game and giving people some access to my tools in a fixed price manner, you know. Yeah. They might be able to put, you know, a couple of hundred pounds in and have access to reasonable levels of me because it's helped, the time is helped funding through the charity or through sort of donations from people who are able to afford it. So it's something that I'm looking in from the utility perspective. I don't actually own that many NFTs. There's, uh, as I say, it's mostly along the lines of the creator coin and particularly the one that was uh, set up by uh, Joshua B. Lee, who uh, you've had do a training in the den and, and whatnot. Ah, yes. I did see that. I did see him sharing that. The creator coin is, is really interesting, but I love the utility aspects with, behind certain NFTs and the ones that actually do things. I have been, as you know, caught up in the JPEGs and the ones that they say are going to moon. And <laughs> But I've slowed down with that for the most part. But we've been working on one main one to coincide with one of the companies that's going to be getting set to launch soon. So I'll have to send it to you and get your opinion. Um, mm, mm, and probably my money as well. <laughs> uh, so where can people find more information about you? Where can they follow you? Where can they 
stay tuned so they can see when you launch this and get the inspiration from the thorny. <laughs> so I'm mostly CF Thorny online. So that's C F E R T H O R N E Y. That's me on Twitter. That's me on Instagram, etc. So uh, they're the places. But if you go to my link tree, I'll make sure a link's in the, available in the notes for the podcast show. Then, um, you know, all my links will be there and up to date because also at some point I will be uh, separating various bits out to, you know, the relevant company page or a charity page, etc. It's not always all going to be on my personal brand. Oh, well, thank you so much for being here. And thank you for just being such an inspiration to me and, and all that you're doing in the world. I, I know you're going to be hugely successful and i just think you're an incredible human now thank you and thank you for the lion's den because that's actually helped give me the kick up the backside i needed to get some of this started so uh, <laughs> i'm glad <laughs> we got lots coming and uh, i know you're going to be there yes exactly oh well thanks so much for today and everybody make sure you go and you give david a follow if you enjoyed this podcast you can go you can reach out to him you can take a screenshot share it on your socials all that fun stuff and give him a tag <laughs>